you know, as an HR, I mean, I, I think I could start a cottage industry of HRisms that I'm going to put on pillows or on notepads <laughs> or something. But one of those is that, you know, employees don't leave their companies typically, they leave their managers. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to episode 35. Today, we're talking all about human resources, HR. We have Kristen Russin from Trinet jumping on, a company that specializes in human capital services and other HR functions for manufacturers and plenty of other industries. Now, if you're wondering about Trinet and what human capital services are, we're going to get into all of that in just a second. So here are the three things you can expect from today's episode. First, we're going to talk about Kristen's career in HR. We'll discuss succession planning, what good turnover looks like, and some great career advice along the way. Second, we're going to talk about Trinet. We'll discuss their role as a professional employer organization and how they work with their clients on all facets of human resources. This section is full of HR strategy and tips specific to the manufacturing industry, so definitely take note and make sure to forward this episode to the HR leader or those in the C-suite within your organization. Finally, we're going to talk about diversity, equality, and inclusion, and how it's an ongoing process that doesn't just stop at recruiting and hiring. As you can probably tell by now, this episode is jam-packed with a lot of resources, and as always, you can find those over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 35. Or if you want to jump straight to Trinet's manufacturing resources, you can do that by typing in manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Trinet. That's six letters. It's exactly as it sounds, and it'll take you right to their website. Before we jump in, if you are enjoying Manufacturing Happy Hour, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. Leaving that rating is super fast. You just hit that five-star button, and a review doesn't need to take long at all. It can be as short as one sentence long, and honestly, it's that feedback that really helps us keep this show going and understanding what type of content you want to hear more of. And with that, let's jump right in. I'm excited to get you introduced to Kristen for our in-depth conversation around human resources. For those listening today, our guest is a director of human capital services at Trinet. Having spent over 15 years as an HR leader across a number of companies at Trinet now, She's helping small and medium-sized businesses implement full-service HR solutions tailored by industry. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Kristen Russum to the show. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy, uh, I'm enjoying being here already. Well, it's exciting to have you on. And uh, we were chit-chatting about uh, your home of Napa Valley before we uh, started Mm -hmm. the conversation. And we always want to kick off the show in happy hour fashion. So, Let's say we're hanging out drinking some wine at Black Cat up in Napa, and someone asks you, you know, hey, what are human capital services? How do you describe that to them in a casual setting like a winery? 
Yeah, well, you know, if you can string a sentence together, right? If you've been up at Black Cat, you know, you might have had a couple a couple glasses, and it may be difficult. <laughs> but you know, I I think about the human capital is really sort of the all encompassing. What are the things related to people? And I can make a corollary that almost everything touches people. You know, I, I mean, there's really no aspect of it that doesn't. So my job at Trinet is to really be that consultative sounding board for are small and medium-sized businesses who are often operating without a really large infrastructure. You know, they don't have a legal person. They don't maybe have a, a VP or a director of HR on staff. And they are leveraging me and my team to just be a thought partner and kind of walk through some of the myriad of things. So that's, I mean, sort of in a nutshell, what we do mm-hmm. and how we try to support our clients. Absolutely. Great answer. Certainly something I, I would hope I'd still understand after a glass or two of wine. <laughs> and uh, and we'll dive back into what Trinet does here in a minute. But Kristen, first, we want to get to know you a little bit. And this is actually, it, it's cool to have you on. This is the first time we've really had an HR focused episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour. So, uh, you know, you've had an illustrious career career in the HR space. Why HR? What drew you to it to begin with? Well, interestingly enough, I somewhat fell into it. Um, I have an accounting degree um, is Mm. my background and practiced accounting for a number of years, you know, crying every day to work, crying every day leaving, you know, really wasn't my, really wasn't what made my heart sing. And um, so I ended up in recruiting um, because I was hiring so often. That's part of the reason I was crying every day is that I had a lot of turnover. Um, people kept stealing my people. Um, and then that that particular career just sort of morphed into HR, interestingly enough. Uh, one of my accounting roles, you know, back in the way early days was doing payroll. And there's a lot of compliance related to that. It was a multi-state environment. So I'd had a lot of experience there. Um, I think what's interesting about my background is it, you know, and if I had it to do all over again, I would absolutely do it the same way. I think my accounting background um, is absolutely critical to my personal success mm-hmm. because I have an ability to talk to CFOs and kind of understanding their language and CEOs and understanding their language. But um, having, you know, and then taking that and always looking at programs and processes and hiring and benefits on, you know, what is the bottom line impact of all of that? Because, you know, frankly, as as, as an organization or companies, you know, their largest expense typically is people. Mm-hmm. And so how do we make sure that we're getting value out of that? And that's not to say that some of my, you know, my colleagues that I work with, you know, some have organizational development backgrounds, some come from a different variety of backgrounds. I just think, frankly, think mine tends to lend itself well um, from a business perspective. So, that's how I landed in HR and I love it. I do, you know, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about Trinet, but my role has always been risk mitigation mm-hmm. at some at some level. A lot of cool things you mentioned there, a couple that stick out. You know, I like the fact that you highlighted your accounting background because we have mm-hmm. a lot of engineers that listen to this show and, you know, they bring strengths to the different roles that they're in, whether that's an engineering role specifically or if they're doing management or if they're leading operations. So it's cool that you approach HR from that business mindset. And you also mm-hmm. mentioned risk mitigation, which kind of goes into the the next question. I think 
when a lot of people think of HR, they think of it in terms of hiring, firing, when there's a challenge, things along those lines with within personnel. Right. But I feel like there are a lot of opportunities to collaborate with HR from a proactive standpoint, like let's say career management, for example. You know, what mm -hmm. are some of those proactive things that people can be doing? And do you think that's something that a lot of people miss? I do think it's something that a lot of our C-suite and our managers tend to miss because they think of HR mm, as the soft and squishy part of business, right? They're the feel good. They're supposed to make employees happy, mm. et cetera, and so forth. When the reality is most HR people want, you know, I don't, I don't want to use this term too much, but they want a seat at the table and where they can add a lot of value and in, in thinking about things differently, and I know one of the things that you and I are going to talk about is, you know, diversity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is just, this is one illustration of where diversity can be very impactful, where if you've got a manufacturing organization where typically sitting around the table are production managers and engineers, and you don't include HR in that to be thinking about things that they're not thinking about, then you've created a non-diverse sort of scenario. And mm. so I think it really all bleeds into that. And, you know, I know we'll talk a little bit more about diversity and some thoughts around that. But so what I would love to have people ask me more about is how can we improve productivity? Mm. How can we hire better? Things that I guess a lot of folks don't think about. They again, they get into the soft skills or they think that, oh yeah, HR is, is really squishy where I can add a lot of value saying, hey, what are we trying to accomplish? Mm. What are our goals and objectives for 2021 or 2020? A lot of managers tend to shy away from succession planning conversations, mm. growth planning conversations, because they think that when they have those conversations with their employees, that it opens up this door of, oh gosh, now that person's going to leave or we're not going to be able to, to fill whatever their ultimate goals are. And, you know, those are, I mean, they're difficult conversations, but frankly, they are so empowering for employees to know that, hey, my manager cares. They want to know what my ultimate career aspirations are. I mean, those types of conversations are great. And that's where I wish managers would leverage me more because it's not an easy conversation for them to have. And I can I can certainly help them to craft that conversation so that at the end of the day, we you know, that there's openness, there's clarity. Everybody knows where you stand, what your career path is. How can you get from point A to point B? You know, those types of conversations. But they're they're tough. They're tough things to have. Yeah. Do you see do you see that starting to change more? Whereas, you know, people don't necessarily look at their career as I'm going to spend 35 years at this company. I'm going to work here for four or five years, get some great results, then then move on to the next thing, whether that's in that company or outside of that company. You mentioned the challenge of having those tough conversations of like succession planning and hey, what's next for you? I mean, do you see people adapting to that more and realizing that, yeah, this is reality now. Let me figure out how we can help this person get from point A where they are now to point B down the line while still producing results along the way. What are what are you seeing? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, you know, certainly in different in different industries and in different aspects within those industries, we do see quite a bit of volatility where, you know, if you didn't stick at a job for more than two years, you were looked at weird. Now you see a lot of turnover and a lot of churn. And you know, organizations that historically have looked at their churn as a negative often have to look at that and take a deeper dive and say, gosh, what was the motivation for churn? 
And that's where some of those conversations are important because there's good, there's good turnover and then there's bad turnover. And, you know, good turnover is, you know, obviously somebody that's not working out, but good turnover can also be somebody has progressed to such a level that we can't offer them anything more. And, you know, we can, we, you know, we can kind of help them shepherd them out um, where they find their next opportunity. So I don't know if I totally answered your question, but hopefully we're sort of circling around that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think the the term that really stuck out there was good turnover. I think that's Mm -hmm. a really simple way of putting that, you know, not all changes in role are a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing if someone's evolving their career, because, you know, the way I look at it is when I move into a new role or when anyone moves into the new role, if they enjoy that last experience, they're going to look at that fondly and they're going to, you know, promote that experience as something that helps shape them into who they are. Absolutely. Worlds are a fabulous, a fabulous thing that we all like. One hundred percent. And uh, you know, we're going to jump into Trinet here and what what human capital services are in a bit more detail in a second. But since we've been talking about succession planning, developing in a career, I'm curious. You know, you've been doing this for a while. What's one of the best pieces of early career advice you received as an HR leader? Oh goodness. You know, I don't know that any any one thing stands out um, as as a, a particular piece of advice. I've had some really fabulous managers, mm-hmm. and you know, as an HR, I mean, I, I think I could start a cottage industry of HRisms that I'm going to put on pillows or on notepads <laughs> or something. But one of those is that you know, employees don't leave their companies typically; they leave their managers, mm. and you know, I used to not necessarily subscribe to that. I thought, no, I'm kind of creating my own path and there's no problems there. But the reality is, is that is absolutely true. I mean, yeah, a good manager has, you know, has difficulty working in a, you know, in a toxic environment. Or I think that that's the one thing that, you know, I have learned is having mentors and having really strong supervisors has been the biggest godsend for me personally. Yeah, you can't understate the importance of a good manager in a more general standpoint, a good mentor as well. Ideally, they they go hand in hand more often than not. But it's advice you can't hear enough. Find a good mentor, you know, look for good managers and Mm -hmm. uh, you'll see the results throughout your career. Well, that and be a good manager. Yes, yes. You know, I, I think a lot of organizations, especially, and we see this a lot with some of the smaller organizations, there's not often a large HR infrastructure, right, to develop mm-hmm. training programs and to kind of, you know, create a manager in training or to, you know, develop some of the softer skills that actually help employees to thrive. I've, I've gotten to the mindset where if I get one nugget out of, out of a book, I think that that's a great thing because I've listened to different viewpoints. I've listened to a different approach. Sometimes things are going to ring a bell differently and help you, you know, so just exploring those opportunities to improve yourself as a manager will ultimately create more success for you as a manager personally, but also is that fabulous foundation for the people that report to you. Fantastic advice. I completely forgot to address the manager segment of our audience as well. In that, so I'm glad you stepped in. No but you also made you also you also made me think. You know, you mentioned you're looking for that one nugget from a book that you read, and I think that's great because I feel like too many people go in looking to like be able to recite the whole book when really if you can get one takeaway out of it, yeah. that's huge. So I've got to ask: Is there a book you've read recently where you pulled away some just new piece of knowledge that? Uh, 
that comes to mind? Oh man, I wish that um, you had me on video. I I could <laughs> I could I could I could pull the book up. I, I listened to it on. I'm going to pull it up so I get the correct title of the book. But what I found so fascinating about this one that I read or listened to was that it really focused on the one important thing, the wildly important thing. And if any of you have read any of those books, Mm -hmm. the wildly important thing is probably going to be your cue for the book that it is. It's the four disciplines of execution. I Mm. listened to that book cover to cover. I just bought it in paperback because I'm like, I want to, I want to highlight some stuff. There's some really good information in there. And that the, the message there was, Find that one wildly important thing, and that's all you do, that you focus on that. And I found that to be a very freeing sort of philosophy. Oh yeah, we've we the, we call them wigs, the uh, the wildly important goals yes, for anyone looking exactly for, for the acronym there. Yeah, I'm a devotee. Huge advice. The four four DX process, I think, is what I've heard people calling across the industry. So um, hopefully, some people are familiar with that. But if you're not, you know to check it out. The four disciplines of execution. We have manufacturers of all shapes and sizes that listen to this. And it sounds like from what you're saying, you know, when you play that consultative role, I'm curious, like, who are you typically working with? Are you working with that organization's, like, HR department? Are you working with another leader over there because they don't really have an, like, an HR department of their own? Like, what kind of size clients are you working with and who are you typically engaging with in these scenarios? We, yeah, we're, we're talking to clients. We work with clients that are, you know, five employees up to, there's really no limit um, to that, but it's it's typical. We consider those small to medium-sized businesses. With larger organizations, there are companies that have a, a more developed HR infrastructure. Mm-hmm. But typically, our relationship is either with the CFO, um, a lot of times HR, some of those responsibilities, again, from the financial perspective, because it's the largest expense, rolls up under the CFO or the COO. Um but again, with larger organizations, we may have a director of HR that we engage with. And and really, our role there is not to pl- replace them. Mm-hmm. But often, HR tends to be a fairly isolating role that, you know, you can't go grouse about your boss over the lunch table. I mean, you know, it's just not done. In HR. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, and so where we help with HR people is just being that thought partner and having sure. somebody else to bounce ideas off of and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. What have you seen or what are the pitfalls? And we can say, well, hey, gosh, we had four other clients do that. And this worked really well and this didn't work well. You know, how can we help you to to get, you know, get there? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds almost like a, a role of a therapist in some way, having that one spot where you can go and you can't go anywhere else in your organization. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because people will ask me, you know, when we first started our our chat, you'd asked, you know, how would I describe, how would I describe my role over a glass of wine? And to be quite candid, I would say that often I'm an underpaid therapist. Okay. Because, you know, that is a lot of what I do, you know, like uh, dealing with, you know, just the myriad of, of concerns and issues that pop up. Yeah. No, great, great way to describe it. I was a bartender back in college. It's been years oh my since goodness, then. And, yeah. and, uh, and my job was essentially a therapist that poured alcohol as well. So yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you prescribed medicine. Exactly. <laughs> you were a therapist giving medicine. Absolutely. Well, I love, I love the happy hour parallels. I have to ask a question kind of specific to manufacturing as well. You know, you tailor your solutions at Trinet by industry. You've mentioned a couple things about the manufacturing manufacturing industry, but is there, are there other unique things you see about that space when it comes to HR in manufacturing? 
Um, you know, that's a good question. I mean, I think it, every industry has its its uniqueness. I think certainly with manufacturing, there's going to be uh, workers' comp tends to be a fairly high, mm-hmm. you know, not only high dollar, but, um, you know, there's a lot of focus on that. With our lower tech manufacturing, I deal with a lot of employee relations issues. And so for me, mm. it's, you know, one of the things that's really a hallmark is having really solid policies, having really solid practices and making sure that those practices and policies are really instilled at all levels of management, that everybody is crystal clear on how to administer them. Because what gets some of these clients in trouble is inconsistency. So that's one of the things that we we see with some of our manufacturing is there tends to be you know, again, a bit of inconsistency with how policies are are applied or a lack of understanding or knowledge about how those policies are supposed to be applied. And mm-hmm. um, that can create some challenges um, with just, again, consistency, discriminatory, you know, and accidental discriminatory practices, which certainly are um, something we want to avoid. Absolutely. And and the reason I ask it is you guys have the benefit of seeing lots of different industries. Mm -hmm. And while we have primarily a manufacturing audience, we're always looking for ways we can learn from other spaces that, you know, maybe you're seeing something like you said, in the general tech space, the software space that could be applied to to our industry that that maybe we just haven't taken enough advantage of Mm -hmm. yet. So we're we're rolling through, and and Kristen, you mentioned this a little bit earlier um, about discussing diversity and inclusion, and I'm excited to talk to you about this from an HR standpoint because, you know, I'd love to learn a little bit more about this from the standpoint of what more is there to it than simply hiring and recruiting diverse talent. That's step one. But what comes next when it comes to diversity, equality, and in- inclusion within organizations? Well, you hit on the perfect thing, Chris, which is, you know, I think we have a lot of clients right now that are that are pounding the drum about diversity. But then the bigger aspect of that is that inclusion. How do you then include those diverse uh, points of view so that you, you know, you just expand? I mean, I've read so many studies about DEI and what are the benefits? Because there's certainly a cost to doing this. Mm-hmm. There's a, an added effort that's involved. There's additional training that you need to do to make sure that everybody really understands what the goals are. But every article that I've read have proven that an emphasis in having a diverse workforce improves productivity and improves innovation. Those are the two key components. And in a manufacturing environment, that right there should be enough to get everybody on the bandwagon that they go, gosh, okay, if that, if I can prove without a doubt that diversity um, you know, inclusion, uh, equality improves productivity, Yeah. then I should be signing up immediately for it. What I think is important is just understanding, and, and this, you know, you can uh, Google bias and get, I mean, TED Talks, et cetera, and so forth, books, et cetera, and so forth. But I think it's really important for us to recognize that as human beings, we all have bias. We can sit there and say we don't, but we do. And, you know, it's, it's important for us to know that that bias exists and to start early on any DEI initiatives because it does take time. If I were to get a small client now, say 20, that would be what I would be pounding. It's easier to create diversity and inclusion on the get-go than it is when you're 200 and you look around and you've got a homogenous sort of demographic and you go, gosh, 
you know, what do we do there? There's a lot more effort that's involved in trying to create some of those diversity components. But I think what's really important is people need to recognize, I mean, granted, diversity takes a lot of different views, but diversity can also be age related. It could be gender related. It could be, you know, I think a lot of times people get stuck on diversity because we've got so many movements right now um, where there are underrepresented ethnicities in industry. But really what you need to be looking at is across the gamut, because somebody that's been in industry for, you know, 30 years certainly has a different perspective than somebody who's been in the industry for a year. And none of those perspectives are bad or they're just different. And that's where I think that innovation comes is that you get somebody that, you know, maybe has been in industry for 30 years and says, gosh, you know, we did that 30 years ago. And let me tell you what worked and what didn't work. Gosh, you know, light bulb goes off or you get somebody that's that's new. And because they don't know anything, they can come to things without, you know, preconceived notions about about different ways to approach a problem or something that they learned. You know, the way I look at it is you got to reframe it from a cost to an investment. Exactly. It's really an, an investment in diversity where, yeah, there's some added costs on the front end, but the benefits are way greater down the line. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, bringing in, bring in the current events as well. I think in, you know, and, and where that comes into really looking at diversity truly from a diversity standpoint, not just in terms of ethnicity, but gender and age, the whole gamut. I think, and this is some of the, just my perceptions, I've seen us embracing that holistic view of diversity. And, and I'll say in the manufacturing industry where I saw it, let's say five, 10 years ago, there was a big emphasis on women in the workforce because it's such a engineering centric industry that, yeah, it made, you know, we put an emphasis on making sure there were more women in the workforce. And that ended up being kind of the definition around diversity at that time. But where I've seen, at least over the years I've been in this space, I feel like we now have grasped that holistic standpoint. Mm -hmm. Are you, are you seeing that as well? I am. It's, you know, it's a little slower, I think, uh, Mm. for the manufacturing industry as a, as a general rule. You know, so I think that's where there's an opportunity for individuals that are in positions of leadership to really start to to bring more awareness, to talk about it more frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's really helpful, especially when you are looking at any sort of diversity program that the CEO or the COO or whoever puts it out there front and center with their population. Hey, we are committed to this and this is one of the things that we want to do it be, it becomes something that is greater than those individuals because one person cannot move the needle mm-hmm. it really does take a collective effort and i i do subscribe to the construct that it all rolls downhill so if the ceo and the cfo and the coo are not on board with this it's never going to get legs that has to come from from them and everybody has to really live it and breathe it yeah so you mentioned that it sh- it needs to come from the top down, but that one person alone cannot move the needle. So for every manufacturing leader listening to this episode, regardless of their role, um, whether that's operations, whether that's an individual contributor role, what's something that everyone can do to contribute to creating more diverse, equitable, and inclusive environments? Great question. You know, A, I think that every, every person needs to, again, recognize that they have bias mm-hmm. and using you know, getting internal and trying to figure out, well, what is my bias? What, what bias do I have? What do I need to guard against? 
and if you know people who say no i don't and i'm i'm colorblind they lie mm -hmm. i mean there's just there's no way right and you know but what we can do as human beings is go gosh you know that's that's my thing and i need to make sure that i do a better job at you know not getting sucked down that particular so that's one thing that they can do i think they should read they read and they educate themselves and they open their brains to what this looks like and then making sure that, you know, from an inclusion perspective, if they look at their population and they say, gosh, do I have, you know, A, am I underrepresented here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, B, do I have individuals who may not feel included? And as a manager, that's one thing that they can do. How can they start to pull those personalities out? How can they get those viewpoints? Because even, I mean, I say that one person can't move the needle. That's not entirely accurate. I think that if everybody did it collectively, mm -hmm. we could do it. Mm -hmm. But if, though, if they take just small baby steps there, but the biggest thing for me is just being, being mindful of what their own biases are and working against that will have the greatest impact on, you know, downstream. What does it look like in three months when they get ready to hire, when they get ready to promote, if they know that they've got particular biases or they know that they've got a slant towards something that they try to remove that, it's going to have the greatest lift with the organization. Great advice. I think it, you got to look internally into yourself, self-awareness. Um, mm -hmm. I love the reading um, aspect as well. And it's, you know, I when I hear that, I think of podcasts you can listen to, things like yeah. that as well. I mean, do you, is there a specific one that jumps out to you, something you've read recently on this or listened to, whatever it may be? Um, I like, I, I do listen to some podcasts. I really do like some reading with Harvard Business Review. Okay. I think that they do just some extraordinary things. And I tend to be very logical in my thinking. And, and HBR does a lot of studies where they sort of back up what they've done through, you know, testing and surveys, et cetera, and so forth. It's not just somebody's opinion about it. Mm -hmm. So I really like that. I think that those are the types of things that especially if you are trying to encourage your leadership to make changes or you personally are trying to make changes. And again, we're talking to an engineering group that tends to really deal in facts and figures. Mm -hmm. That just, I mean, it just resonates with me. Um, I'm a huge fan of podcasts. I think they are just the the best things sliced bread. <laughs> I put them on, I, you know, I, I find pod, podcasts that I like. And in my commute, when I was commuting, uh, you know, I listen to them on a commute uh, when I'm walking the dog. It just, you know, I think it's just a great way to expand your horizons in, a, in an easy, digestible way. Absolutely agree. Great, great examples at Harvard Business Review. I know we have a lot of people listening to this show that look them up, you know, for diversity, for other business related topics as well. Excellent resource. You know, we're getting towards the end of our conversation. And I have to ask, is there is there a question that you wish I would have asked you, Kristen, that I haven't yet? Goodness, I don't know. Um, I I really can get I can go down the rabbit hole. I'm I'm really <laughs> I'm really very much an HR geek, and you know I think one of the things that I that I love talking with my clients about, and this is pretty much a hallmark of the people that work for me is we love getting in the trenches with our clients and trying to figure out where the problem, what's the, what's the genesis of any problem, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, you know, if we have an opportunity to chat again, I'll certainly come with some horror stories of things that have worked, things that haven't worked. I mean, I think Ooh. there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of learning that comes from, Oh gosh, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now I'm gonna have to un now I'm gonna have to unwind you from that particular. <laughs> I feel like an HR horror stories episode would get a lot of clicks and listens. Oh my right goodness! Off yeah, <laughs> some sort of uh, capture of you know the latest horror stories that everybody has. 
you know, where our clients tend to get the greatest lift from us is when they call us early and they call us often. Mm. It's, you know, where we end up where we go, God, I wish you just called me. And, you know, again, your people cannot see me right now, but my head is in my hands. Like, I wish you just called me before you did that. I could have saved you a lot of grief. Um, you know, and reaching out to, you know, phone a friend. Um, and that's what we want to be is like, phone your friend, you know, help you tell you what you can and can't do and what you should and shouldn't do. Well, I love that. Call early, call often. That feeds right into my final question is what's the best way to connect with Trinet? Goodness. Um, a couple of ways. Probably the easiest way would be to just, you know, www.trinet.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's going to be the the directest route to us. And then, you know, certainly any of your audience can look at, you know, one of the things that I'm really proud of is we we recently got awarded the Stevie Award for um, our efforts related to COVID and that sort of thing. So that's another way that if if you're not certain that you want to even engage Trinet or you've got your own thing, but mm-hmm. you, you certainly I would tap into our COVID resources. So that's another way that you can engage with us without, you know, necessarily becoming a partner with Trinet. But there's a couple of ways. That's awesome. And, and for everyone listening, I will have links to all of those resources in the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com. And in the meantime, Kristen, I have to say, thank you so much for being on Manufacturing Happy Hour today. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. Um, I hope you have a great afternoon and I look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Sounds great for everyone out there. Stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next time. Right, that is a wrap. If you want to link to that winery we were talking about called Black Cat, or more importantly, any of the HR resources that we mentioned throughout this episode, you can find those over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 35 to access the show notes for today's episode. Or if you want to jump directly to Trinet's manufacturing resources, you can go straight to that page by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Trinet. It'll take you right there. As a call to action, if you enjoyed this episode or if you have an HR member on your team or just someone in your network, make sure to forward this episode to them. I felt there were a lot of good resources there. I can't wait to get your feedback to hear if you feel the same. Looking forward to talking more about this topic on the show in the future as I I can't believe it took us over 25 episodes to get here. Two more things before we wrap up. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. It'll take you straight there on your desktop or on your iPhone. And then finally, I wanted to say a big thank you to Trinet for sponsoring today's show and sponsoring Manufacturing Happy Hour. As you can tell, this group knows what they're doing when they're helping out small and medium-sized businesses with their HR solutions. So make sure to look them up if you need any help with your company's human resources. Also, if you think your company might be interested in sponsoring Manufacturing Happy Hour, make sure to reach out so we can keep that conversation going. Send an email to manufacturinghappyhour at gmail.com and make sure to put sponsorship in the subject line. And with that, we are done for the week. We've got some great episodes coming up, so make sure you stick with us here at Manufacturing Happy Hour. See you later. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.